Good morning, everyone. Um, as you've heard, my name is Jabulani Mayberg. I am a husband of one amazing wife and uh, recently a father to probably one of the cutest boys you'll ever meet, uh, baby Malachi. He turned a month old on, oh, I need to get this right, on Thursday, he, on Wednesday. He turned a month old on Wednesday, don't tell him that. Um, and yeah, we are a new young family of three. It is a pleasure to have this opportunity to come share with you this morning. Uh, I am a stranger to many of you, um, but what is true is we are family. We share of the same blood, actual blood, uh, which is the blood of Christ. Uh, so I do pray that as I share with you this morning, that you'd be encouraged from God's word as we fellowship together as those who are a part of one household, which is the household of God. Amen. Amen. So by way of introduction, have you ever heard these words, you can't go there looking like that? Has anyone ever said that to you, you can't go there looking like that? Imagine for a moment you had the opportunity to meet the president. Now, it doesn't matter how you feel about the man, but, but imagine you had the opportunity to meet him. Or what if you had the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to meet King Charles? Again, it doesn't matter how you feel about the man, but what if you had that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to meet him? Or maybe you're a very spiritual person, so what if you had the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to meet one of your favorite old-time preachers. How would you dress? How would you look? I, I can assure you, you definitely won't go there wearing your pajamas. You won't go there meeting the president with your morning gown. You won't go there with slops or a vest. Hey, you can't go there looking like that. Well, I remember I was always ridiculed growing up because I loved to wear shorts. It didn't matter if it was winter, it didn't matter the, if it was raining, it didn't matter if it was snowing. Well, I haven't seen snow, but even if it was, I would have worn shorts. I loved my shorts. And people would ridicule me for wearing shorts at what was deemed a formal event. I would hear the words, hey, you can't go there looking like that. I went to church, and I remember one morning, I went to church, and I was on for drums, and the church I went to, you had to wear a tie. If you were, if you were up front, in fact, it didn't matter where you were, if you were going to church and you were a boy, you had to wear a tie. Now, I remember once I was up to play the drums, and I forgot my tie. But I had my collar up, so in my mind I thought I was wearing a tie, and all I saw is one of the deacons sneak in from the back, sneak all the way around, and as I was playing, he started putting this tie on me, <laughs> saying, hey, you can't be up here wearing, or you can't be up here looking like that. And I just thought for a moment, imagine if I came here this morning wearing my torn shorts, wearing my favorite vest and slops, and I came up to preach. Probably there would be an emergency elders meeting to find someone who's got a sermon to preach this morning because, hey, I can't go up there looking like that. You probably get the point. This was the question that is being poised here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The question that is going to be asked is this. How are the dead raised 
and with what kind of body do they come? Paul's response to this question would be, hey, you can't go into eternity looking like that. His argument would be, there is a body that is fit for the earth, but there is also a body that is fit for eternity. Hey, you can't go into eternity looking like that. So won't you turn with me again, if you're already there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll read again from verse 35, so the passage is fresh in our minds. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. And it reads, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? What, with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory, and what is sown in weakness is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven. So also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Won't you join me as we pray? My God, this morning as we gather here this, to listen to the preaching of your word, my God, I pray that you would soften our hearts to be receptive to it. Lord, we understand that we, we will not understand these words. We will never be able to apply these words if your spirit is not at work in our hearts. And so this morning we pray that your spirit would work. I pray that your spirit would speak through me. I pray, God, that I would only be a vessel, an instrument in your hands. Forgive me, Lord, for where I have sinned against you. Lord, protect me from my own pride or my own arrogance. I pray, Lord, that this morning's preaching would be nothing of me but all of you. I pray for the recipients. I pray, Lord, if there is any distraction, whether it's me, whether it's something that happened this morning, whether it's a burden that is heavy on their hearts, my God, I pray that you'd lift it. I pray, Lord, that you'd remove all distractions. And Lord, help us to listen to that which you have prepared for us. I pray, Lord, that you would bless the preaching of your word, bless our fellowship together this morning, and we pray that most of all, you would receive the glory that is due to your name. 
This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So friends, this is a passage that is packed with hope. I want to encourage you this morning that this is a chapter that we as the redeemed, we as those who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ are to cling on to the the truths in this passage as we walk on this earth, this earth that is filled with pain, this earth where you will experience death, and this earth that is filled with sorrow. Paul, in fact, will later say it is because of this hope the hope that is revealed in this chapter that his labor was not in vain. So firstly, this morning, I want you to consider a picture painted. A picture painted. Well, it is important for us to note, where, where is the Apostle Paul coming from? If you, if you look in your Bible in verse 33, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. And now he is saying that, hey, I have warned you before. I had had warned you about, about those who will come teaching another doctrine. I have taught you about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and still... Someone will come and ask this question, how are the dead raised and with what body do they come? Now when we read these, when we read these questions at face value, we, we, we read them almost with the tone as if these guys were inquisitive. But that was not the tone at which this question was poised to the Apostle Paul. They asked him like this, how are the dead raised? Okay, okay, we hear you, okay. With what body will they come? It was with an arrogance, it was, it was with a sense of, of you speaking lies, and, and hence the Apostle Paul responds by saying, you foolish person, you senseless person. Again, I had to ask myself the question, but why would the Apostle respond with such strong language? Why would the Apostle Paul call them senseless people? Well, it was because they were allowing the corruption of the age to seep into the church, They were being corrupted by the philosophy of the day where people believed that all material, all matter was evil. They believed that the soul was actually just trapped. It was caged in the body, and so to hold to a bodily resurrection seemed to be illogical. These would be the same people who would say, because it is illogical for the body to be resurrected, let us go on and drink. Let us go on and eat. Let us be merry for tomorrow we die. It doesn't matter what you do because we're going to RIP anyway. We are going to rot in pieces. So then, so then they would also say, I will spend eternity in the spiritual realm as a spiritual being. This was the foolishness that was creeping into the church. These were people of no knowledge. And it was a shame that the church of Corinth was following the instructions of those who were pushing this kind of philosophy. And so the question is asked, how are they raised and with what body will they come? Now these people are asking this question with with that kind of attitude. But as I read this passage, I thought in my mind, there might have been others in Corinth who might have genuinely had this question in their minds, hey, 
How are the dead raised? There might be some even here this morning who might be asking themselves the question, hey, how are the dead raised and with what body will they come? In fact, some might go as far here this morning to ask about, hey, what about the beheaded John the Baptist? How will he be raised and with what body will he come? You guys live close to Zanspreit and you've probably heard about the protests. You've probably heard about those who've been burnt by a tire around their neck, people who've been burnt to ashes. And so again, it is right to ask, how about those people who've been burnt? How are they raised and with what body will they come? Hey, what about those who've been cremated? What about those who have been dismembered? What about the disabled? What about the deformed? Will their bodies be raised, Apostle Paul? And if their bodies will be raised, with what body will they come? The Apostle Paul answers with firstly an illustration, 1.1. Consider verse 36. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. The analogy that the Apostle Paul uses was one that was common to the people there and is common to us here as well. He says, look at the seed. The seed must first die in the ground before it gives life to fruit. This reminded me of the words of Jesus in John chapter 12, verse 24, when Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, the, uh, falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So whether you're looking to harvest grapes or you're looking to harvest wheat or you're looking to harvest carrots or morojo, that seed must first die in the ground that God may give it a new body. God is the one who takes that seed that has died in the ground and gives it life in the form of a seed. Martin Luther said these words, Our Lord has written the promise of the resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. And so this body that you have is simply a seed that was planted by God. The body that you have is a seed that at birth God has planted. It is, a, it is this seed of yours, which is your body, that has been planted into the ground, which is the earth, which will live until an appointed time where we will all die. It is appointed unto man once to die. After that comes judgment. So this new body is received only after death, and not only for those who believe, but everyone will receive a new body. Everyone will die, and everyone will receive a new body. Again, remember the words of Jesus. Jesus says this, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And come, and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The point is, both will come out of the tomb to the resurrection. The seed has died, and it will bring forth the fruit of something new. Now keep this in mind. It is the same seed, but new body. Same seed, but new body. 
Which leads to my second sub-point, a garment fit for the sphere. Look at verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, and another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. I don't know if you've noticed, but your body can't survive too long underwater. In fact, your body won't survive at all in space. I don't know if you've noticed, but you look very different from a monkey. You look different to a jellyfish. You look different from a cockroach. <laughs> you look different from a creepy crawly. You look different even from a frog, regardless of what people have said to you jokingly. That's because God has created you different. He has given you a, a, a different flesh, or shall we say, he has given you a different skin that you have for this sphere and for his glory. Church, you did not evolve from a monkey. You did not evolve from an amoeba. You were created as a human with human flesh. A monkey was created as a monkey with monkey flesh. A fish was created like a fish and so on. Moses stresses this 10 times in Genesis chapter, chapter 1. God created things according to their kind and he saw that it was good. This is Paul's point. He says, even the stars in the sky, God created the moon, he created the stars, he created the sun with their own bodies. Have you ever thought about that? The sun, the moon, the stars have their own bodies. They are adorned with their own glory, which is different from earthly beings. They have a glory which is fit for their sphere, and their sphere is in the heavenlies. Again, we were all created according to their own kind, and God saw that it was good. Now, for a second, this is going to feel like we're getting derailed. It's going to feel like I'm taking the train off the rails, but I want you to hang in there with me for a moment. When God created you white... When God made you black, when God made you Indian, when God made you Asian, when God made you other, he did so on purpose. It was no mistake. It is not something to be ashamed of. In fact, it is something to marvel at that our creative God can create all of us in the very same image of God and we can still be so distinctly different to his glory. Again, when God made us male and female, it was no mistake. It was intentional. He formed us the same image bearers. We are, have the very same image of God. Male and female are both human. We are both equal in value, but we are both so distinctly different genders to complement each other, and it was on purpose that we will be able to be compatible to each other, and he saw that it was good. The world cannot define that for us. God created this with purpose. And this is what Paul is saying in verse 41, when he says, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. 
He's making the point that when you look up into the heavens, we can't really see it in the city because of all of the pollution. But when you go out into the felt and you look at the stars, they all look the same. It's just bright dots in the sky. But if you were to grab a telescope and investigate each star, you will come to realize that even each individual star is adorned with the same glory. They have the same body, but, but they are distinctly different. Each star was uniquely created to the glory of God. They all stars, but even individual stars are different. And so were you. Friends, you will be resurrected as you are. You won't look too different, but you will be transformed to the glory of God. All the imperfections, oh, praise the Lord, all the imperfections will be gone as we'll later see in this passage. And what will remain is that which reflects our resurrected Christ. Spurgeon puts it this way. Despite that earthly beauty which makes glad our countenance, we are, after all, shriveled and worthless compared with what your body shall be when they shall awake from their beds of silent dust and cold, clamp, cold damp clay. Yet while they shall be different, they shall be precisely the same. It shall be the same body. The identity shall be preserved. Though they shall seem to be but little similarity, yet shall no man doubt that the very body which was sown in the earth has sprung up to eternal life. As I typed this, I couldn't help but sing indescribable, uncomparable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing God. All-powerful, untamable, awestruck, we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim, you are amazing God. So what's the point? Paul is saying all of this <laughs> to say, if God can create each according to its own kind, why then can't God create a body which is fit for eternity? Why can't God create a body which is fit for the sphere where there is no sin, where there is no sorrow, where there is no dying? Why can't he create a body fit for that sphere? He is saying that you can't go into eternity looking like that. And what does that mean with the flesh that you have now? The body that you have now is not fit for heaven. And so he gives us a description of what that body that is fit for heaven will look like, which is my second point, an answer given. Consider verse 42. So it is the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. The seed that goes into the ground is our bodies that have an expiring date. Our bodies that are finite. Our bodies that are wasting away. Our bodies that are from birth dying. This is what is sown perishable. 
But this seed will give rise to what is imperishable, a body that will die no more, a body that will go on for all eternity, a body that will learn for all eternity the marvelous mysteries of a glorious God. It will be a body, Spurgeon says, it will be a body upon which the tooth of time can have no power, into which the dart of death can never be thrust. But on the flip side, for those who do not believe in Jesus, you will not be annihilated. You will not be left to just sleep in your grave, but you too will be raised. You too will be raised and have a body which is imperishable, but it will be a body that is fit for eternal judgment. If you have rejected Christ, you will have a body that is fit to experience the full extent of eternal torment, but not waste away. It will be a body that will experience the full extent of the wrath of God in guilt and shame, fully aware of all the evil deeds that are committed in the body here on earth, fully aware of all the instances that you have rejected Christ as God and Savior. You will be in torment and you will not waste away because you'll have a body fit even for that sphere. Friends, believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Do not tarry, for your appointed time can be near. Your best before date could be today. Do not tarry. Paul says what is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. This earthly body which is liable to various kinds of of diseases, of of illness, of, of death. This earthly body that has brought grief to many of us in this room because we have witnessed a loved one fade away to cancer. We have witnessed a loved one fade away to illness. We have experienced a loved one fade away to even the, 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 the extent of crime, maybe by a bullet, maybe by a car accident. We have seen this earthly body waste away before our eyes. We have seen that which is sown in dishonor. But this body will be raised in glory. Do you want a a reference of what this glory will look like? Behold the resurrected Christ. Whoever it was whom you loved so dear, cling to the truth that are sown in dishonor. Whatever illness, whatever disease, whatever cause of death had happened, that which was sown in dishonor, praise God, will be raised to glory. Behold the resurrected Christ. His body that was battered and bruised. His body that was lashed and pierced. It was raised in glory. He knew that the temple which would be destroyed in three days, he will raise up and praise God he did. So look to Christ. He will raise you up. He will raise up that person whom you loved so dear if you have placed your faith in him and if they had placed their faith in him, cling to the hope that you all will rise in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. 
We as twigs that are easily broken. We as mist that is here today and gone tomorrow. We are like the flower that fades. We are fragile creatures. We are full of anxiety. We are prone to be downcast. It is us that God will raise in power. You, who might be like me, who has just body pains and pains everywhere, and you wake up one morning and your chest is tight and you can't breathe and you've got toothaches and you've got a headache, this body which is sown in weakness will be raised in power. Martin Luther, borrowing from a poet, assumed that the saints shall be so strong when they are risen from the dead that if they choose, listen to this, now I don't know what the power would look like, and and Martin Luther was just borrowing from poets to so just give us an idea, but I don't think this is what it would be. But listen to what he says. He says, the saints shall be so strong when they are risen from the dead that if they choose, to, they could shake the world. If they choose, they could pull up islands by their roots. If they choose, they could hurl mountains into the air. Now, hearing this, I must confess, I got ahead of myself and I got carried away. I imagined this kind of power and I was imagining myself with the strength of Hulk, the invincibility of Superman and Wonder Woman, the super speed of the, fle- of the, of the flesh, the agility of Spider-Man, the reflexes of the Black Panther, the ability to read minds like Professor X. And then I came back to Earth and remembered, God is not assembling the Avengers. Friends, what I do know is I can look and, and find reference in the resurrected Christ. The resurrected Christ could walk through doors. I know that Jesus ascended into heaven by flight. I know that he was carried by a cloud into heaven. That was just a glimpse. That was just something to make us e- eagerly await for what this power will be. I cannot de- de- definitively tell you what the power shall be, but I can tell you you can wait with eager anticipation. I can confirm that whatever that power will be, it will be glorious. Finally, all this to say, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. The dead in Christ shall not only rise, but they will be gloriously changed. We will be glorious in our spiritual bodies, which are fitted for a heavenly state, where we will forever dwell with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Consider verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life, became a living being, The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And and, And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of Adam. Sorry, the man of heaven. In Adam, all die. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But in Christ, all will live. 
Christ is the second Adam, in that all who believe in Jesus are a new creation, not made by human hands, but created by God. Like in birth, we all like Adam in the flesh. We who are born again will be like Jesus, the man of heaven. We have a new identity. We have a new citizenship in heaven. Not only will we behold our Lord, but we will be like he is. We will be like Jesus. We will be like Jesus who is completely obedient to the Father. We will be like Jesus who is completely holy without spot or wrinkle or blemish. We will be like Jesus with our bodies free from sin, sorrow, and death. We will be like Jesus and rule and reign. We will be like Jesus and have fellowship with the Father. We will be like Jesus as bright lights clothed in righteousness. We will be like Jesus, filled with an infinite, unadulterated, uncontaminated, immeasurable, with breath and depth of pure love. We will have an uninterrupted view of God in the flesh. No longer disrupted, no longer veiled by the sin that is present in this earth, but we will see God in the flesh New flesh, that is. Man, I can go on, but I must close. Here are a few implications. Church, we here on earth are, are only those who are like vessels. We are those who are jars of clay. If you are here without Christ, if you are not born again, if you have rejected Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to make it clear that you remain unfit for the master's use. Nothing you do you do will be approved by God. You are like an unrecognizable white rug or a white sheet that has been passed around, that has been touched with muddy hands, that has been kissed with filthy lips. You know God's righteous decrees that those who practice unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, those who are full of envy, those who murder and strife, you know God's righteous decrees that those who are Deceitful, those who are gossips and slanderers, those who are haters of God, insolent, haughty, those who are boastful, inventors of evil, those who are disobedient to parents, those who are foolish and faithless, those who are heartless and ruthless, deserve to die. But not only do you do these things, but you go on and approve those who do them. You are following the, the course of this world. You are following the prince of the power of this air. You're the spirit that is now at work in the, sun of in the sons of disobedience is working in you. You have helped to do the work of Satan. You are not a child of God. You don't have that right. If you are here and you have rejected Jesus Christ, friend, you too will be raised, but you will be raised to judgment and eternal torment. Revelation 20 verse 12 to 15 says this, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Will your name be found in that book? If you are a believer, I want you to be encouraged this morning. This earth is simply the workshop of the refiner. He will allow you to go through the fiery furnace of adversity so that you can look more and more like will be perplexed but you won't be driven to despair like the Apostle Paul. You will be persecuted, but not forsaken. You will be struck down, but not destroyed. You are being fashioned into a glorious lampstand, which will stand on the banqueting table of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory. Peter adds, and he says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you, may, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Have you ever wondered or asked yourself the question, why is there so little written within the scriptures about that season of absent from the body and present with the Lord. What are those who have died before the return of Jesus doing in heaven right now? Have you ever wondered that? Well, we're not told much about that because I believe that we are to eagerly look forward to the day, not just when our souls are raised to glory, but when our bodies are raised as well. When his work on earth is done. So yes, if you died today, heaven would be glorious today in the presence of God. But even then there is better to come. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, encourage each other with this, that your bodies too will be raised. And so dear friends, I want to encourage you again with words from Spurgeon. Dear friends, if such be death, if it be but a sowing, let us be done with all faithless, hopeless, graceless sorrow. Our, firm, our family circle has been broken, you may say, yes, but only broken that it may be reformed. You have lost a dear friend, yes, 
but only lost to that friend that you may find him again and find more than you lost. They are not lost. They are sown. And so, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Our Lord Jesus Christ is risen. Our Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. Are you ready? Let's pray. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to him belong? Unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ, he lives. Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you had come, you had died, and you are risen. There is great hope in the resurrection. There is great hope that, Lord, though we may die today, God, we will be risen. Lord, this body which is only a seed will be sown, but God, when it's sown in the ground to die, it will be raised. So my God, I pray that you would encourage those here this morning. My God, if there are those who are grieving, God, if there are those who are tender because they've lost the beloved, God, won't you encourage them with words from this passage. If there are those here this morning, my God, who are also feeling discouraged, they're feeling frail, they're feeling weak. God, they have been tormented by the troubles of this age. God, they've been afflicted by, by the effects and, and the consequences of sin. God, don't you encourage them that th there is indeed better to come. We are those who have a hope that is alive. Our hope rests in the person of Jesus Christ. So my God, I pray that as we leave this place, that we would leave here with a hope that is renewed, that with what body will they, will they be raised? And if they are raised, with what body will they be raised in? With a body that is like the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what a great encouragement. Thank you, God, for your word. Won't you bless it in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen.